Fidelity high, the people you dig, the records they love. Ishmael Butler is one half of the critically acclaimed hip-hop duo Shabazz Palaces. Formerly known as Butterfly, Butler was a member of the Grammy Award-winning Brooklyn-based hip-hop trio Diggable Planets from the late 80s through their dismantlement in 1995. Their debut album Reachin', a new refutation of time and space, was issued in 1993 and spawned the hit single Rebirth of Slick, Cool Like That. Their sophomore effort Blow Out Comb was named one of the 20 best albums of 1994 by Spin Magazine. The publication called it a beguiling, demanding, damn near revolutionary follow-up, and it has also been called a hip-hop classic by Pitchfork. In 2009, Butler formed Shabazz Palaces alongside multi-instrumentalist Tendai Baba Mariah. Receiving widespread critical acclaim, John Prowlis of the New York Times called the group's music sparser and stranger and darkly innovative. 2017 saw the release of their third and fourth full-length albums, Quasars, Born on a Gangster Star, and Quasars vs. Jealous Machines, released on the same day. Of the former, Mojo Magazine called the album a thrilling excursion, possessing an otherworldly ambiance, and substance you'll spend months decoding, every spin yielding something new. This is Ishmael Butler, and my Fidelity High is Three Feet High and Rising by De La Soul. This album was groundbreaking and brand new. The production style that Prince Paul came with, the samples that he was pulling from, the time, the, uh, the time lengths of the songs, some of them being short, the skits was something that they started that would become prevalent in, in the genre. And um, they were the first group to really represent in hip hop abstract, abstractness, abstraction in a very natural way. And um, it was just a groundbreaking in every way. Like um, it, was a, it was electrifying to listen to it. And, and they kept getting better and better as the record went on, and many dazzling, dazzling moments. And it still remains to this day strong in all those ways. Around the time when Three Feet High and Rising came out, I was in college and um, just starting to get into production myself. This album was actually instrumental in making me want us learn how to put um, beats together and, and samples. And um, there was a guy that was in my dorm. His name was George Logeman, and he had a little keyboard studio in his room. And um, I used to go to his room and start sampling and playing with his keyboards and stuff. And that was actually the first time I started. Not, not the first, but one of the times I really had time to dedicate time and had a place to go to make um, my music. During this time, I was listening to all genres of music. My father played all kind of music in the house, jazz, R&B, all music. He loved doo-wop. Um, so that's what I was hearing. And he also had a lot of those records. He had probably two, three hundred records of all different genres. So that's what I was hearing at the time when this record came out. Um, the single Plug Tuning came out before this album came out. And then like when I was in college in Massachusetts, we would go down to New York. And the rage at the time would be like to get the tapes of um, Chuck Chill Out. Um, and um, Red Alert, they had Saturday, Friday and Saturday night hip hop shows. 
and they would spend, they would come on at, I forget, late night, like 11, and play till 2 in the morning. They would play all the latest hip-hop stuff. So we had heard, like, plug tuning, and there was one more song. Um, and those songs were really different, and their lyrics were really different, but we didn't have any idea that, that this was on the horizon, man, you know? But I knew about them probably a year or two before this stuff came out. And um, they had a crazy looking video. It was like shot in Long Island. It was real like black and white, real grainy. And it was clear like, I mean, we didn't know this was coming, but it was clear that they were surfing on a whole nother wave, man, you know? So I, I, I knew about them for a while before this record actually came out, but nothing could have prepared anybody for, for this right here. Along with Public Enemies, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, and the Beastie Boys' Paul's Boutique, which was released four months later, De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising helped revolutionize sampling in hip-hop. Produced by Prince Paul, the members of De La Soul recorded the album using a Casio RZ1 drum machine and sampler, and an even-tied harmonizer which helped them match various songs with different pitches. The songs on the record were painstakingly constructed from samples by varied artists such as Led Zeppelin, James Brown, Kraftwerk, Steely Dan, Johnny Cash, The Monkees, Eddie Murphy, Sly and the Family Stone, and countless others. One particular song, Transmitting Live from Mars, featured an unauthorized sample from the Turtles recording of You Showed Me, a song written by Roger McGuinn and Gene Clark of The Birds. Members of the Turtles sued Prince Paul and the group for a substantial sum settled out of court. While most of the samples were originally cleared by De La Soul's record label Tommy Boy, the agreements predated the advent of the internet. Since Three Feet High and Rising features countless samples, it is a daunting and expensive task to gain new clearances for digital platforms, something the master owner hasn't tackled to date. Because of this, the album, as well as most of De La Soul's other catalog, is not available for download or streaming, though on Valentine's Day 2014, the group made Three Feet High and Rising, along with their other records, available for free download to their fans for one day only. When discussing Three Feet High and Rising, people always kind of just limit the scope of the discussion to the way that they approach music and sampling. But artistically they to me came from another angle of expression and um um execution you know they they were just coming from another artistic world it was almost like the invention of hip-hop or graffiti or stuff like that it was um the alchemy had 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 mixed in and and the perfect sort of um, gumbo of ideas coalesced on this thing. Like it was, it was, they were channeling something divine. You know, I, it's hard to explain and try to talk about like I know something about it, you know, or analyze it in any way because it's just really magic and I, I don't know anything about magic really. In its review of the album for The Village Voice, the influential music journalist Robert Criscow stated, Their music is also radically unlike any rap you or anybody else has ever heard. De La Soul's songs largely represented a socially conscious and peaceful message. Pioneers of what many would refer to as alternative hip-hop, they called it the Daisy Age, which was an acronym for De Inner Sound, y'all. The cover art to Three Feet High and Rising was also softer and brighter than other hip-hop records at the time, with day-glow flowers surrounding the members. 
While these factors were often mistakenly interpreted as the group being hippies, in fact it set them apart as individuals with a queer voice and aesthetic that was all their own within the genre. At this time, when Three Feet High and Rising came out, like, it wasn't like it is now where everybody did the same thing and appeared the same way. Like, N.W.A. didn't look like Public Enemy. Public Enemy didn't look like Big Daddy Kane. Big Daddy Kane didn't look like Heavy D. Heavy D didn't look like Latifah. Latifah didn't look like the other people in the flavor unit. It was it was paramount that you expressed yourself in a unique way. That was part of what you had to do in this time in hip-hop culturally. There's a phrase called biting, which isn't used anymore, which meant that you had tick taken somebody else's style and tried to use it for your own, and that was something that could get you immediately marginalized, ostracized. You you wouldn't be respected if you were a biter. So the fact that they were coming different wasn't that unique, really, but the uniqueness was in the way that they were coming. But we all knew, like, Daisy Age wasn't really about Daisy Flowers. It stood for the, the inner sound, y'all, which was 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 what was their acronym for Daisy, and it was about expressing yourself, you know, coming with the sound that was inside of you. And those of us that felt them and were fans of them really took the, the Daisy Age to not necessarily be about, like, psychedelic flower child stuff, but about the inner sound, y'all, which they had tapped into with, um, with this um, music and this approach to making music on this record, I think. De La Soul's aesthetic and approach was clearly a sizable influence on Ishmael Butler and the foundation of his group Diggable Planets in the early 1990s. Incorporating socially conscious lyrics over samples leaning heavily on jazz recordings, Diggable Planets won the Grammy Award for Best Rap Performance by a duo or group in 1994 for their debut album. When forming the group Diggable Planets years later, what I took away from Three Feet High and Rising was basically everything. You know, it was like, it wasn't like you wanted to try to like copy their musics, but you wanted to get to your own personal expression, no matter how weird or wild or different it was. They were the forebearers of approaching things in that way and being cool about it, being black about it, being hip hop about it. And they just were just the frontiersmen of a whole new way of looking at things. And I, I mean, every genre, every young person in every genre that went on to make any kind of music got a lot from, from this album. I can't say what, but I know that they did because it was that broadly sort of listened to and, and loved and, and, and played. And um, yeah, man, all the influences that went into it, that they sort of cultivated, that they liked themselves and put into the record, it manifested and in, 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 in exponentially influenced things from there, you know? And I listened to it enough times for probably at least two or three lifetimes, you know? When it was on tape, we used to have these tape machines. You would either have a dual cassette or your cassette player would flip over um, when it got to the end. And it just would stay in the tape player all day, all night, over and over again, day and night, listening to it. I don't know how it informs Shabazz Palaces. It's it's like saying how you how does your dad, you know, influence you? You know, like there's things your dad does that you do that 
you would have done if you had never met him. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just inside of you. It's in your chromosomes. It's in your it's in your DNA. But I listened to it so many times. I studied it. I emulated it that it's hard to tell where it ends and I begin. You know what I'm saying? I mean, along with many other records that have that same kind of effect, that's why it's not really... I don't think the responsibility of an artist to try to really pinpoint certain influences because some of them are so subconscious that you might not even know you're uh, bringing them out when you are. So I don't even try to do that. But I know that this one is uh, in me um, pretty, pretty deep. In 2004, the Three Feet High and Rising song, Potholes in My Lawn, became the first rap song to be played on Mars via the NASA rover. In 2010, Three Feet High and Rising was also added to the National Recording Registry by the Library of Congress. It joined other legendary recordings that are culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fidelity High. All episodes to date are available at fidelityhigh.com and iTunes as well. Please consider leaving a rating and review.